0: That's where we've been spending our time here this morning. Uh, we've been in Matthew 10 for a few weeks, and I hope you've seen so far that there's a, a, a theme that runs through Matthew Matthew 10. I mean, Matthew chapter 10. There's a theme that runs through Matthew 10 that we've been studying and seeing is in this chapter. Jesus is sending his disciples out on a mission, and as we look at this, I, I, you'll see it over and over and over in this passage. Jesus sends. Verse 5, it says, he sent them out. Verse 7, it says, as you go. Verse 16, he says, behold, I, I send you out. So that's the theme that he just repeats over and over and over. You're not going to stay here with me. I'm sending you out. And that's good for us in the new year because we need to be reminded that it's not our job as a church to stay. It's not our job as a church to see it. It's our job as a church to be sent out into a lost and dying world. So this is a good theme for us in the new year, that we're, uh, we were left here on earth after we are saved, to be sent out to reach more people. Uh, and today we're going to see as he sends them out, he tells them what to expect. Uh, before you go out, here's what you can expect as you go. Before I send you, here's what you're going to run into. So that's what I want to show us today, Before we're going to, what we're going to encounter in the world. I've titled the sermon today, what should we expect in the world? What should Christians expect as they go out into the world? And I'm going to give you three expectations, things that you can be guaranteed you will run into as you go out and you're around lost people. So let's stand together, and I'll show you these three things that we will see in the world. As I title, again, the title of the sermon is, What Should Christians Expect in the World? And you can write these things down. You will see these things. You will experience these things. And if you haven't, you, you will in the future. This is what we as Christians can expect and how we can expect to be treated out there. So let's read this passage together. i want to go 16, verse 16 through 23. And the word of God says, verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, Take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And brothers shall deliver up brother to death. And the father of the child and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel until the Son of Man be come. Let's pray together and then we'll see what we should expect in the world. Father, we thank you for your word and that you have given us all things pertaining to life and to godliness. And that you have not left us unprepared for what to expect in the world. But we have fully detailed what we can run into so that we can prepare ourselves, that we can be ready So God, help us to see that today. We need this. We need to know what to expect. We need to know how to be prepared for it. So God, prepare our hearts, our minds. Help us, please. And God, I do pray that you'd help me as I present and Help me to, to present these things in a way that would honor you. But God, help it to be the truth. I don't want anything to come out of my mouth that is not of your word. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In preparation for the D-Day invasion, as our troops were going into Normandy on World War II, uh, General Eisenhower wrote a letter to every troop that was going to go onto the beaches of Normandy. And you guys know, I'm sure you do, if you, if you know anything about history, this is one of the great battles in the history of not just America, but of the world. And Eisenhower was a great general, and he wanted to prepare his troops for what they were going to face. When the doors opened and they were going to go up on that beach, what were they going to run into? So he wrote a letter to be read to every troop prior to them going into battle on that day. They were supposed to go into battle on the day before, but they had bad weather, so they went into battle on the very next day. And I'm not going to read the whole letter to you. I just want to read part of it, if you guys don't care. This is Eisenhower preparing his troops. And he says, Soldiers, sailors, and airmen, You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of all liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on on both fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and the security for ourselves in a free world. Then he says, your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained. Your enemy is well equipped and your enemy is battle hardened. Your enemy will fight savagely. But I have full confidence in your courage and your devotion to duty and your skill in battle. And we will accept nothing less than full victory. And let us beseech the blessing of almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. What a marvelous speech. I wish I could put words together like this. I'm sure that as, his, as the soldiers were reading this, it was almost like a locker room before a football coach is giving his players a big pep talk. I remember as I was a football player for the mighty Pound Wildcats one day, and we were getting ready to go out. You know, we were not mighty. I say that because in, 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 you guys know that Pound was not known for their football prowess. I, I understand that. But our coaches would get us in the locker room. We were getting ready to take on a team that, that everybody in the world knew we were going to get beat by. But our football coach would stand up before all these football players and he'd give us one of those raw, raw speeches to get us fired up and ready to go out into, not into war, but we were going out into, into the, the athletic battlefield to, to face an opponent. And, and you walked out of that locker room ready to go, burst through that sign with your crowd cheering you on and you were fired up and ready to go. And that's what this is here. It's, it's on, on a much greater scale here. This isn't athletics. This is, this is war. He's sending these young men out to die. And he wants them to be prepared. He wants them to go out knowing, here's what you're going to face. Here's the enemy that's going to come upon you. Eisenhower knew, here's what you are. You need to be ready for this. Here's the battle that's facing you. He wanted them to know it wasn't going to be easy. That they needed to be ready. They needed to be prepared. They needed to to know what to expect. And he sent them out. And those doors opened on on those boats that would drop them off on on the sand on that beach there in Normandy. And many of those young men lost their lives. Fighting for a worthy cause. Helped to win a war. And we are here today because of the price that those men paid. And this is... Similar to what Jesus is doing here in this passage. He's not a football coach sending out a football team. He's not a general sending out soldiers. He is a teacher sending out disciples. And he's sending them out into a world and he wants them to be prepared for what they're going to face. I'm sure he has them all gathered around him, almost like a huddle. There's, there's 12 of them gathered around, and Jesus is in the center, and he has picked out every single of his disciples earlier in Matthew 10. They're all standing around, every single one of them standing there, listening to what he's saying, and he says to them in verse 16, Behold, men, here's what you're going to, go, here's what you're going to see when you get out there. And he's giving them a, a pep talk before they go. I'm sure they're huddled together, I'm sure they're, they're nerves, I'm sure they're sweating, I'm sure there's uncertainty. They've never been without him before, and now he's sending them out on their own. And Jesus tells them here, here's what you can expect when the door is open. Here's what you're going to run into. And for them, maybe they expected it honor. And esteem and respect and fun and games, and everybody will love them and they'll cheer for them as they as they come into the cities, everybody like, yeah, the, there's Jesus' disciples. But Jesus says, Let's be honest, here's what you'll run into. And here's the great lesson of this passage. It will not be easy out there. But you can guarantee I'll help you along the way. That's the lesson of this passage. It won't be easy but I'll help you. And that's the same lesson that we'll get here today. I don't know what you expect in the world. I don't know what I expect as I go out into the world. And I'm a Christian, I'm a preacher, I'm standing for the gospel and for the things that are right and true in a world that is, that is uh, all false and wrong. What do we expect as we go out there? And this is this is very good for all of us because some of you here are little kids and teenagers and you're going to go into your schools and you're going to face this. If you stand up and say I'm a Christian, I stand for what's right and I'm going to do what's right, this is how your school will treat you. College kids that are here today, you need to hear this because you will face these things as you go into your college campus and you take a stand for Christ. This is what you will face. This is what we as adults will face when we go into our jobs, when we're around our friends, when we're with our family. This is what we will face when we're out there, and we need to be prepared for what we're getting ourselves into. We're living in an anti-Christian age, and we need to be prepared for what they're going to do. We need to prepare ourselves, get ourselves fired up and ready to go. It's not a playground out there. It is a battleground out there. We need to know these things. These are unprecedented times that we're living in. Understand that. We've never seen things like this before, but we will. So we need to be ready. And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, here's how it's going to be, guys. I love the honesty of Jesus. He tells it how it is. He doesn't want these guys going out there with a wrong idea about what the world's like. That's how I am with my kids. My my kids are sitting up here today, and I know we we try to protect them and watch over them, but I need to be very real with them. Here's what you can expect as you go out there. As I send my kids off to college one day, and I hope it's Mountain Empire, which is like that far from my house. (laughs) They can walk there. Here's what you can expect on a college campus. Here's what you can expect from a professor who is anti-Christianity. This is what they're going to do to you. You need to be ready for this. As you go into a job site, you're going to run to people who are anti-Christian. As you face government officials, they're going to be anti-Christian. There's going to be laws that are put into place in the the near future that is anti-Christian. And you need to be ready for what we're going to face as we go out into this world. This isn't just for the disciples. This is for the disciples of all ages. So let's look at this today. I I, I need to know what to expect. You need to know what to expect. Write these things down. This is a guarantee. Take it with you. These are the things that that you can expect. And you say, how do you know this this wasn't just for the disciples? Because if you look at the end of verse 23, Jesus adds, until the Son of Man be come." This is what can be expected until Jesus comes back. This encompasses the whole age before the return of Christ. So let's look at it. I'm going to give you, what should Christians expect in the world? And I've got three of them, three things you can expect. And and, and the amazing thing about this passage is he gives us something difficult, and then he tells us how he's going to help us in it. Here's what's going to be hard about it, and here's your help. So number one, expect, first thing you're going to expect is hostility. Expect hostility. The world will be a dangerous place. It's not, again, a playground. It is a battleground. Look what he says. How do you, you say, how do you know it's going to be dangerous? Look what he says. Behold, I'm sending you out, and you are sheep, and you're going to be out there in the world in the midst of wolves. That doesn't sound safe to me, does it you? That doesn't sound like a, a playground to me. Imagine me sending my kids out to the playground, and there's wolves circling the playground. And I'm like, guys, go out there and play in the midst of those wolves. Do you think that'd be safe? No, there's no way that's safe. So what we, we're looking at here, look, look what it says again. Here, this is a common illustration that he's giving here, sheep and, and wolves. Sheep are, let me explain to you what sheep are. I think you guys have an understanding of what, what sheep are. They are weak, they are defenseless, and they are dumb. That's what sheep are. That's how they are described. They are so dumb that they, that, and defenseless. They're so dumb that, that they can be taken down by a fly. Flies can get in their ears and, just, and, and bug them to death that they'll go and beat their head up against the wall just to get the fly out of their ear. And they'll die doing that. That's how dumb they are. They are so defenseless that their only way to, to, to fight against predators is to run, and they're not very fast. Big body, small legs, they can't run very fast. So they're dumb, they're defenseless, they're weak. They're the most helpless animal on the planet. They're not strong, they're not dominant, they're not powerful. And Jesus says, this is how we are compared. We are sheep. We're not strong. Has anybody ever heard of a fighting sheep? Has anybody ever heard of a, of a team named the sheep? <laughs> you know, you, you, don't wanna, that ain't, you don't want that to be your team. You, you hear of the wolves, you hear of the bears, you hear of the, the mighty wildcats. You know, that's the strongest team name you'll ever have. Mighty, strong, forceful, powerful animals. Nobody's ever had a team named the sheep. Because they're dumb, they're weak, and they're defenseless. You wouldn't want that to be your team name. There are no claws, there's no teeth, they can't run. It's really a pitiful animal. And Jesus says, you're going to be the sheep in this illustration. And you're going to be out in the midst of wolves. Wolves are the exact opposite. Wolves are Predators. Wolves are fast, vicious, severe, merciless, flesh-eating. They've been known to devour a whole entire flock in one night, and the shepherd never even see them coming. That's vicious. And it shows us here that Jesus is sending them out as helpless, weak, and defenseless people in the midst of a world, a world that is vicious and cruel, destructive and deadly. Understand this, the world is not our friend. The world is not our home. We shouldn't be comfortable in the world. No sheep is ever comfortable surrounded by in the midst of wolves. That's what he's saying here. They will be inside They'll be around you on the inside, dressed up as sheep. They'll be on the outside where you can tell exactly who they are. And they will be after us to rip us to shreds, to devour us. When we go out there, that's the hostility that we face. We are the sheep and they are the wolves. You say, that sounds scary. I know. What do we do then? Look what he says. Be ye therefore. I love this. Be ye therefore. That's because of that. You must be like this. In order to survive that onslaught of slaughter out there where they're trying to devour you and rip you to shreds, what do we do? What what, what should we be in order to survive out there? You must be, he doesn't say a bear. He doesn't say a lion. He doesn't say an eagle. What does he say? You must be like serpents and doves. Another animal illustration. Look what he says. Be be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You say, what does that mean? Let me tell you one at a time. To be wise as a serpent means be smart. Don't be dumb. I'll say be intelligent. Use your brain. Don't Don't be stupid. Use common sense, which I know isn't very common anymore. Be smart. God gives you a brain to keep you out of trouble. Use it. Don't be the type of Christian that goes out there and gets yourself into trouble on purpose. Don't go out there and be the type of Christian who makes people mad on purpose. They're going to hate you anyway. They're going to be hostile against you anyway. Don't go out there and get yourself run over by them on purpose. Use your brain. Be wise as serpents. I'll give you an example of this. Jesus in Matthew 22. You don't have to turn there. They come to him and they said, Jesus, what do you think about Caesar? And Jesus could have said, he's rotten, vile, wretched, no good, evil, and he's going to be damned in hell forever. But instead, he said, give unto Caesar what's due unto Caesar. He used the right words in the right place at the right time. If he would have said that about Caesar at that moment, he would have died before he was supposed to have died. He used his brain. He was as wise as a serpent. There's no need for us to incite anger. There's no need for us to be a bull in a china shop. There's no need for us to, to, he says, use the wisdom of the serpent, not the venom of the serpent. There's no need for us to go out there and be just vicious to them. He says, we need to be wise. Hostility will come. Don't bring it on yourself. And then he says, the second one. You know, you, you know what a snake does? Does a snake ever just, when you see it, the first thing I do is Run. But if you see a snake, it never just lays its neck out and says, here, chop my head off. It always curls itself up and is very smart to stay out of trouble. And that's what he's saying here. Don't get yourself into trouble on purpose. Be wise. The second thing he says here, this is good for us. Be wise. Be smart. Use the brain God gave you. And then he says, be harmless as a dove. Has anybody in here seen a dove attack? Anybody? Anybody been in a wedding and they throw the doves up and they let them loose and everybody's like, oh, and then they start attacking everybody at the wedding? It might be fun to see, but you've never seen it happen. You know what that means? Be as innocent as doves. The world is hostile, and it's our job to be harmless. Gentle. Pure. We live in a world I'm going to say it this way. That is as offensive as it can be. That is as ugly as it can possibly be. We live in a world where you can't get on social media for the ugliness that's on there. Don't get mad at me, but I spend more time on Facebook saying hide, 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 hide. Because I don't want to see the ugliness, I don't want to see all the offensive things that are being said. And that that goes for all of our politicians, too. You can't get on social media without seeing our politicians saying something ugly and something dirty and something nasty and something vile and something vicious. And they're just at each other's throat all the time. And you say, Josh, you're getting political. No, I'm not getting political. I'm saying our world is full of that stuff and it shouldn't be in the church. We ought to be counterculture, dif- different than that. Be therefore different, a change. We're not like that. We don't, we don't spit venom. We are as harmless as doves. We're not offensive. We're not mean. We're not ugly. You're even seeing it today with our kids. I was around some kids just the other day. Heard them talking to their parents, talking to each other. I'm thinking, we need to go back to washing kids' mouths out with soap. If my kids said something like that, they'd have a whole bar of soap, ivory soap in their mouth the very next day. You don't say that stuff. It's, it's mean, it's offensive, it's ugly. That stuff shouldn't come out of our mouths. We are as harmless as doves. Innocent. That's what he's saying here. Be smart and be innocent. They're going to be hostile towards you anyway. We don't have to bring it on ourselves by being dumb and mean. Hmm. And that's a good balance that we need to have. There was an old Scottish professor that told his students, if you're going to be successful in ministry, you need three things. Greek, grace, and gumption. Gumption meaning guts, willingness to take a stand for things. He said, you'll never make it without those three things. You can get Greek in school, you'll get grace from God, but guts comes from within.'" So you need to have a balance of there's a time for me to be gracious and loving and kind and there's a time for me to stand up for what's right and to not back down and to put my neck out there. But it takes this to know the difference. And a lot of people don't have this to know the difference between being gracious and having guts. Jesus says be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Jesus had that perfect balance, didn't he? He knew when to take a stand, and he knew when to, to back down when he needed to. He, knew, he, he understood those things. Paul had the same thing. Paul was bold, and he never backed down, but he was never offensive. Get that. Jesus was bold, and he never backed down, but he was never offensive and ugly with the way he talked to people. I'll give you a few verses, and we'll move on. Colossians 4 or 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. You see that? Walk with wisdom toward them they're without. Redeeming your time. Let your speech be always... How often should that be? When it says be always, how often does that mean? Every now and then. Be always with grace. seasoned with salt so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer every man. I'll give you another one. Philippians 2.15 That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, Among you should be lights in the world, tells us exactly how to act in a world that's hostile towards us. So that's the first thing you can expect hostility. And we respond in that hostility with being wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Number two, you can expect hard times. Verse 16, he says, you can expect hostility. Verse 17, he says, you can expect hard times. Look what it says in verse 17, but beware of men. That is great advice. Beware of men. Beware of other people. Is, that's what he says, beware of them out there. Look what, look what they're going to do. Why should we beware of men? For the first group of men he wants us to be beware of, be cautious of, watch out for, keep your eyes open and see these people. Who is it? Number one is the religious. You see what It says, Beware of men for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their, you see the word synagogues, that was their churches. That's where they met every Saturday. Beware of what men will do to you in church. The religious people, beware of what they will do to you. And this is talking about, in, in that time, they had their own little trials, and, and uh, they would sentence people inside their, in the Jewish synagogue. So if somebody done something wrong, they'd bring them before the, the high priest, and he would put a sentence on them. And oftentimes, in front of the, the synagogue, they would whip them with 40, 39 stripes. I found this funny this week. They would punish people in the synagogue for, for their offenses and their sins. And they'd whip them 39 times And as they were doing it, the congregation would count. Can you imagine if we did that here? One stripe and two stripes. And as they did it, they sang psalms. And he says, and the religious will bring you before the councils and before the synagogues, and they will whip you. That's what he's saying here. They had their own system for these things. This happened to Jesus. This happened to Paul. It's happened throughout all time. The greatest persecutor of other Christians is religions, even other churches. The Catholic Church has killed more Christians than any other religion in the world. And it'll happen to us. You say, how's that happening to us? We don't have to watch out for that. I'll say this. If you stand with Christ, other religions will hate you. And sometimes if you you preach Christ in churches, in churches like ours, your own religion will turn against you. They'll love you as long as you preach what they think is right. And then the second they don't like what you say and you're preaching out of the word of God and you open the book, they're going to try to shut you up. Some of the most vicious people in the world are religious people. So there'll be hard times coming from the religious people. Second, even harder times will come from the government. (laughs) Just keep on going down through here. Verse 18, and you shall be brought before governors and kings, For my sake. As a testimony against them and and, and the Gentiles. They'll arrest you. It'll be a crime to be a Christian and to follow Christ. They'll arrest you. You'll be brought before the, the judges and you'll have to give a testimony on the stand. Be a witness, that's what it says, a testimony before them that you'll stand up and they'll, they'll ask you about well, who do you follow. They'll ask you to, to turn away, to, to denounce your faith. You'll stand up before governors and officials and, and courts and you'll have to be to give a testimony in front of them. This happened to Jesus. This happened to Paul. This happened to every single apostle. It's happened throughout church history that they've been brought before governors and councils and, and had to give an account for who it is they follow and who they're, they're loyal to. Are you loyal to Caesar and will take a bow, bow and knee to him? Or are you loyal to Jesus and will bow and knee to him? Who do you follow? If you say, Caesar, we'll let you go. If you say, Jesus, we're going to kill you. You say, well, this happened to us. It happens everywhere in the world today but with us. We've been safe so far. But for how much longer? Let me say a few things here. We're seeing a change in America. There is a tolerance today in America for everything and everyone but Christians. There is a tolerance today for every religion in the world but Christianity. Christianity. There's a tolerance for every devious behavior in the world but the right behavior. There's a tolerance for every group. There's, there's, there's groups meeting in schools that they, that they let them meet and have their time. But the second a Christian wants to do it, they say no. There's a time we're living in today where it's coming where we might have to stand up for what we believe in and who we follow and it might come to the point where we it's illegal to be a Christian and we have to stand up and say, who do you follow? Who are you loyal to? Who do you pledge allegiance to? Again, we've been safe, but for how much longer? Will I see it? Will my kids see it? Will our nursery babies see it? Jesus says it's coming. I'll give you another one. You want another one? That's not even the hardest. I've showed you the hard one is the the religious. The harder ones is the government. Let me say this. The hard one is the religion. They'll whip you. (laughs) The harder ones are the government. They'll kill you. The hardest ones are when your family turns against you. Look what it says, verse 21. And brother shall deliver up the brother. And the father shall deliver up the child. And the child shall rise up against the parents. In each one of those cases it says, and cause them to be put to death. The hardest thing that a Christian will ever face is when their family betrays them. It says give them up. It says turn them in unto death. This is the most unbelievable of them all. This is the hardest of them all. When you become a Christian and your family doesn't like it, when you stand for what's right and they think you're wrong, when you're at a Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas dinner or your weekly dinner and they say, I know how he stands or how she stands and I don't like, And the more the world turns against that, the more your family will turn against that. The more the government turns against that, the more they'll turn against that. If your church turns against that, they'll turn against that. To the point where your family turns against you. Jesus is so provocative that he even divides the closest of relationships to where brother will give up brother Father will give up child, and child will give up parents. This happened to Paul, as his whole family would have a funeral for him after he turned to the cross and say, he's dead to us. This happened to Jesus, didn't it? One of his closest friends in Judas, closest friends, stabbed him in the back with a kiss. Jesus knew the pain of this here. Paul knew the pain of this here. There has been people throughout history that's known the pain of this here. That it's not just, I can take a church turning against me, can't you? Yeah. There's a hundred other churches we can go to. I'll find one. I can take the government turning against me. That's okay. But will I still stand up for Jesus? Get this. I'll stand up. I think I will. When When the churches turn against you. When the other religions turn against you. When the Muslims hate you. When they say you're wrong and they they try to cast you out of their churches. I can handle that. I can handle the government. Could I handle my family? Will I still stand for Jesus if my family doesn't? Or my friends don't? Or those closest to me don't? That's what he's saying here. Those nearest and dearest to you. The last ones you would expect turning against you jesus goes on to say turn with me i want want you to see this in the same chapter matthew chapter 10 in verse 34 he says think not that i'm come to send peace on the earth it's right there in verse 34 i came not to send peace but a sword for i am come to set a man at variance against two against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law the man's foes shall be they of his own household That's hard times, is it not? You can expect that. You say, oh, that's not going to happen here in America. Some of us have seen it already. The second you become a Christian, it's like you're an outcast from certain groups and certain friends and and even your family. I heard a story about a wife the other day that her husband got saved. She said, I could stand him being an alcoholic and abusive to me, but I can't stand him being a Christian. That's the hostility. That's the hard times that you face. And you say, we expect that? What do we do? How can we we face that? This isn't a fun sermon, right? You guys are sitting there saying, I should have stayed home today. I'm risking sickness to hear this. (laughs) But watch this. He said we're going to face hostility, but he gave us help. Be wise, Be, be intelligent, and be innocent. And then he says the government and and, and the religious and and even your own family will turn against you, but here's what I'll do. Look what he says. I, I, I think this is fantastic. Verse 19, but when they deliver you up, when they throw you before the council, when they threaten to kill you, when your family turns their back on you at the worst possible time, in that moment, he says in verse 19, underline these words, take no thought. These words are the same words he used in Matthew 6 when he tells us not to worry. Take no thought means don't worry a thing about it. Don't worry about it. Don't don't fret about it. Don't get upset about it. Why? What could they have worried about? In this crisis situation when they throw themselves before the religious or before the government or even standing before their family or friends, they'd be required to give a verbal defense of themselves. What do you say for yourself? Get this. It'll happen in churches. What do you say for yourself? It'll happen before government. What do you say for yourself? It'll even happen with your family and friends. What do you believe anyway? Will you recant? Who do you follow? What do you believe? When you're put on the spot, when your life is on the line, he says in verse 19, don't worry, for I'll give you exactly what to say. I like this. The Spirit will speak for you. At the worst possible time, I'll send you help. At the worst possible time, I'll be there to help you. For them, I like that. Verse 20 is just for the apostles only because he doesn't do this for us. For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. So he's saying, at that time, it's going to be as if the Spirit is speaking in your place. You'll be standing there, but the words that come out of your mouth will be from God Himself. Take no thought for what you're going to say, because God will speak for you. This verse doesn't teach preachers not to prepare. I've heard that before. I've heard preachers say, God will give me what to say when I get up there. No, God gives me what to say when I'm sitting back there. If I got up here and tried to figure it out on my own we'd be in big trouble but he says when you stand up there I'll speak for you and some of the greatest words that have ever been spoken come out of the mouth of men who are in the worst possible situations I'll give you evidence of it Acts chapter 7 turn there with me this is is good stuff I'm going to apply this to you in just a second but Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, first martyr, was being killed. Verse 54 of Acts 7, he's getting ready to to, to be martyred, to be killed for his faith, before religious people. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were so angry at him, but he, look at this, but he... Being full of the Holy Ghost, at that moment when he was about to die, God had never been closer to him. Being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. What words? He didn't cry like a baby. He didn't mumble something. Those words that came out of his mouth were the words of God. And those words made them even more mad. And then they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears, and they ran upon him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, and name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It happened here. I'll give you another example in church history. A man named Polycarp, who was the Apostle John's disciple, was burned at the stake, and he said these words. It was was amazing. I read the story this week. They put him at the stake. The wood was all there. And they usually tied the men to the stake. And Polycarp said, you don't have to tie me to anything. I'll stand here and take it. They said, will you recant? We'll let you off this bonfire if you'll deny Jesus. And he said, no notes. Eighty-six years have I served him, and he has never done me injury. How then can I blaspheme my God and my Savior? And they burned him at the stake. There's an amazing lesson lesson here for us in Matthew 10. In crisis, at the hardest time, God will always be there to help us. And I don't just mean at death. When you're facing a council, synagogue, I mean in your hardest times of life, he will be close to you. When you're sick, when you're in the hospital, when you're facing the death of a loved one, whatever it is you're going through, he will be there to help you. Let me give you a couple of examples. Stephen, what was the, when he looked up, he saw the Son of Man standing Jesus was there with him in his hardest of time. When the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was thrown in the fiery furnace and they looked in there, they said, we don't see three men standing in there, we see four men standing in there, and one of them looks like the Son of Man. At their hardest of times, God showed up. I'll give you another one. When Daniel was in the lion's den, I'm pretty sure that it was God that had his hand around the lion's mouth and said, don't you open that thing. Polycarp, this is the one that that was burned at the stake, it was said that he heard a voice out of heaven. The harder it gets, the greater help we'll have. The hotter the battle gets and rages, the more you'll have God come in and help. God will never be in more control. He'll never be more with us. He actually said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but I will go with you all the way. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. You will never be alone. I will always be there to help you. So you say, Josh, here's my question. In that crisis moment, what would you do? I've thought about that all week long. If I'm thrown before religious people, and they ask me to recant of my beliefs, because that's what it'll be in churches. That's what it'll be in Churches. Do you believe this? Whatever that is in the blank. Martin Luther was thrown before a council of religious people, the Catholic Church. They said, Do you believe this? And they threw one of his own books at him. <laughs> he said, I, I stand for everything in that book. So there'll be times for me. Said, Do you believe this, Josh? Whether it be homosexuality. Or whether it be, you know, whatever it is, the doctrine in the Bible. Do you believe this, Josh? That's what will be in churches. And in government. Who do you follow? Will you back down from Jesus? If they throw me in front of a council and they say, you deny Jesus or we will kill you. Josh, what will you say? I don't know what I'd say. I don't know how I would act, but I do know I won't be alone. And that's all that matters. I know that He will help me in whatever situation I face. The harder it gets, the greater my help will be. That's for everything in life. He won't leave us. Lo, I am with you always. Let me give you one more point. We can expect hostility, we can expect hard times, and we can expect hatred. Hatred. Look what it says. Verse 22. I don't make these things up. And you shall be hated. (laughs) I mean, there it is. And you shall be hated. That's what it says. You'll be hated. You will not be universally liked. There's not a guarantee that you'll be liked. You will be liked by all men. That's not what it says. The Bible says in 1 John 3, don't be surprised when all men hate you. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. I don't want to be surprised when they're against you. We ought to be surprised when they like us, not when they hate us. Don't be surprised when they, when they don't like you. It shouldn't surprise us. And it says, and you should be hated by all men. <laughs> all doesn't mean all here. All men don't hate me. If all men knew me, they might hate me. But the all men don't hate me all men don't hate us what this means is all types of men will hate you there will be all types of religion and groups and and all all these people out there they're going to hate you they're going to be against you they're going to hate you deep down in their heart like that wife who said I'd rather my husband be an alcoholic than be a Christian there's hatred there for Christianity they're going to hate you deep down when when you walk into a room it's going to be like I don't like that guy I can't stand him when you walk into the gym and you've got a smile on your face, there's somebody sitting over there doing bench press saying, I can't stand that guy. You know, He's benching more weight because I'm there. You, know. you walk into a store, there comes that preacher, I can't stand that guy. It's going to happen. And that hatred deep down in their heart, you say, I'm okay if people just keep it to themselves. No, 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 no. Hatred in the heart comes out of the mouth. They will slander you. They will lie about you. You'll be walking through and they'll look at a buddy and say, let me tell you what I heard about that guy. And nothing but lies will be spewed out of their mouth. People at work will be sitting there saying, there's that Christian. And going to the boss and saying, let me tell you what I heard about that guy. Lying and slandering. Might even post about you on social media. Hate you. And that hatred doesn't just go from the heart. Usually it goes from the heart and from the mouth. Because if the words don't hurt you, because Jesus said they'll say all manner of evil things against you falsely, they're going to say all types of stuff about you. And when, they don't, when, when that doesn't work and, and, and it's like, you know, words don't hurt me, what's the next thing they're going to do? That hatred turns to violence. And they'll do everything in their power to shut you up stop talking about that Jesus I'll say this later but I'm going to say it now too if you don't want this be as quiet about Jesus as you possibly can don't let anybody know you follow Jesus don't let anybody at work know you're a Christian don't let anybody at school know you're a Christian where was you at yesterday? I didn't go to church that's for sure <laughs> no I didn't like that post You know, no 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 no, no don't, don't put me with that group they will hate you that's what it says Deep down in their hearts, they will hate you. With their mouths, they will spew venom at you. See, the world spews the the serpent's venom. And we have the wisdom of the serpent. And why do they hate us? This is my favorite part. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. They don't hate me because of my personality. Because I'm harmless and gentle. That's what we ought to be. They don't hate me for me. The real issue isn't with me. The real issue is with who I follow. They don't hate me at work because I'm lazy. (laughs) They hate me at work because I'm a Christ follower. They don't hate me at school because I'm a bully. They hate me at school because I love Jesus. They will hate Jesus... They don't have to hate me. It's because we associate and identify with Jesus that we are so they're so bent against Jesus that they take it out on us. If Jesus was here they, they'd say that about Jesus they, they would harm Jesus but we're the closest thing in the world to Jesus so they take it out on us. He's not here when he was here the target was on him and now that he's in at the right hand of God that target goes where where's the closest one to him? <laughs> Where is it at? Jesus said that. If they hated me, they'll hate you. So now the target goes to the closest one to Jesus. Right? Right? So the closer you are to Jesus, the more dead on target they are. So if you don't want the target on you, just don't be like Jesus. And the target's looking for the one who's the most like Jesus. Jesus. I think about myself all the time. I think, how could anybody hate me? I'm such a great guy. (laughs) I'm nice, I'm gentle, I'm kind. But as soon as I open my mouth and these words come out, hatred is aimed at me. It shouldn't be me. It should be him in me. And the words of him coming out of me. That puts the bullseye dead on you. You say, I've not had any of this. I've not felt any of this. Maybe you aren't close enough to Jesus to feel it. They will hate you. Paul said that. Colossians 1, he said, I bear the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. What he says there is they meant to hit Jesus, but instead they hit me. Galatians 6, 17, Paul says, I bear in my body... The marks of Christ, every scar that I have from every battle that I ever fought, those are the marks that were meant for Christ, not me. The blows meant for him, the words meant for him, the closer we are to him, the more of this we get. You say, what do we do? Let me give you this and we'll close. He gives us two things to do here. He says, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But here, here's the help. I told you he'll give you something hard and then he gives you the help. Here's the help. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. You say, what's he telling us to do here? Endure it. Take it. Let him say those things. Let him beat on you. Let him turn against you. Don't give up. Don't throw the white flag. Don't throw it in the towel. Don't surrender. Don't ever stop. True Christians, true believers, will endure it all the way to the end. They will not back down. Let me ask you this. And that's what he says. Your true Christians will endure to the end. You'll show your true faith by enduring it, by taking it, by not waving the white flag and saying, I give up. I'd rather take it easy. I I don't don't want all that animosity. I don't want all that hatred. I don't want all that hostility. I don't want the hard times. I'm giving up. He says, no, if you give up, that's evidence that you were never really saved. The ones who are saved never wave the white flag. I'll say it this way. here's, Here's your example. Who run the race? The ones who finish it or the ones who gave up halfway through? I've run all kinds of races around here, and I've never had anybody come and brag to me at the end and say, I finished half that race. I've had many come to me and say, I finished that race. That's what Jesus is saying here, the ones who finish, the ones who endure. I'll give you another one. (laughs) How many people have you ever heard brag about running from war? Oh, I went over there, and when the battle got hot, I ran away. Give me a medal. (laughs) No. It's the ones who fought in the war and finished the war that we brag about. How about a carpenter has anybody ever bragged on a carpenter and said look he put that one wall up good for him that's a great job Now you brag about a carpenter who puts the whole four walls up and finishes the inside finishes the job The ones who run the race are the ones who finish. The ones who who are building a house are the ones who finish the house. And that's what he's saying here. True Christians will endure to the end. We may stumble in the race. We may fall in the race. We may crawl in the race. We may be slow in the race. Everybody else may be way ahead of us and we're just barely making it. But true Christians keep on running until Jesus comes back or until I die and go to heaven to be with Him. That's true Christianity. That's what he says. Those who endure this are the ones who will be saved. Saving faith is enduring faith. There is not real faith at all. Jesus said, He who began a good work in you will carry it out. This type of persecution, you know what it does? It clears out the fakes from the reals. Clears out the phonies. They can't handle it. They can't last. There's a lot of people that start the race, but there's not many that finish it. As soon as it gets hard, they quit Proves they not real to begin with true faith finishes endures endurance does not save us but endurance does prove that we're saved. so the first thing he tells us to do is endure it and the second thing he tells us to do is to run from it i love those two how do you know the difference one endure and two run Because look what it says but when they persecute in the city, flee. I, I would take out a pen and, 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 and underline that. Because he, he says it two different things. Verse 22, endure. Verse 23, run. Flee. Get out of there. How do you know the difference between when to stick it out and when to leave? Be as wise as a serpent. Be smart. Don't. That's what he says, endure. Don't be silly. Some people want to be martyrs. I've heard people say before, I lost my job because of Christ. <laughs> you lost your job because you're dumb. <laughs> I mean, it's just be smart about it. You don't have to be a martyr all the time. I mean, that's what he's saying. You, you, that's, that's pointless. That's what Paul did. He, I mean, he says, he's saying you, you can keep on moving. You can go to more places. You don't have to stick it out. If there's a way for you to leave, go on. You'd have to sit there and get you get, get killed. There's no crowns for being stubborn. Run, go. Paul would <laughs> I went through Acts this week. Paul would preach, start a right and leave. I, I, if I'm thinking right, Acts 12, Paul preached, started a right, left. Acts 13, Paul preached, started a right, left. Guess what he did in Acts 14? Preached, started a right <laughs> and left. If Paul, this is what Jesus is saying here, if Paul had went to Acts chapter 12, preached, started right, they killed him, there wouldn't be in Acts 13. You know how Paul knew to go on? He wasn't dumb. Preach, start a riot, there's another city. Preach, start a riot, there's another city. There's a time and a place for you to stick it out and to endure and and, and to, to stand up and have gumption about yourself. But there's also a time to say there's other places to go. I don't have to stick it out here. I don't have to be a martyr now. Some people just love martyrdom, the idea of martyrdom. I've heard people say that I'm just going to go to China and be martyred. (laughs) You're going to be useless too because you're dead. (laughs) Be smart. Don't be dumb. That's that's what he's saying here. There's a time to to look what he says. when When they persecute you in this city, go to another one. For verily I say unto you, you shall not run out of cities. You see that? I mean, I think that's Jesus being kind of funny there. You're not going to run out of cities until until I come back. There's going to be enough places for you to go. There's there's another town. There's another church. There's another place. Just keep on going. Don't, Don't be, I keep using that word, don't be dumb. Use your brain. I tell my kids that all the time. Be smart. You're smarter than that. Use the brain God gave you. There'll be places to go until Jesus comes back. So as I close this out, he says you can expect hostility. You can expect hard times. And you can expect hatred. Those are the three things we can expect. But in each one of these points, I hope you've noticed this you can also expect help. I wrote that down in blue ink in, the, in this passage. When there's hostility, he gives us help. When there's hard times, he gives us help. When there's hatred, he gives us help. We go out in the midst of wolves and our shepherd watches over us every step of the way. I want to turn to a passage that you guys know well. You don't have to turn there with me. I just want you to hear it in reference to this passage. And then I'll close. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters, and he restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake, and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. You know what a you know what sheep love being close to their shepherd. A sheep will take and cuddle up next to that shepherd. A sheep can smell its shepherd and that shepherd will sit there and it'll pet its sheep and it knows every one of its sheep by name. And he sits there with a rod and he sits there with a staff and that sheep knows that no matter what comes his way, my shepherd will take care of it. The only defense that a sheep have is the shepherd. The greatest strength of the church isn't the sheep, it's the shepherd. We are helpless and we are defenseless, but we have a great shepherd. It says here, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me, right smack dab in the presence of mine enemies. I added that one part. Thou anointest my head with oil, and in the midst of all this, my cup's running over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here and now, I have goodness and mercy in the midst of the worst things imaginable. He'll be good to me. He'll be merciful to me. He'll take care of me. He'll watch over me. He will be my help in the midst of hard times. And the worst they can do to me is kill me. And all that does is take me to be in heaven with my shepherd. It's the worst they can do to me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Understand me. These days are coming if they're not already here. And we have to be ready. My question to you is, what is your loyalty lie? you were asked today where your loyalty lies. It's easy in here, is it not? Here's a safe place. This is the safest place in the world for Christians. I can't believe there are Christians that don't like to go to church. They'd rather be, I want to be mean here, they'd rather be with the wolves than with the other sheep. There's something not right about that. I was looking for an amen there, I didn't get it. Maybe there's a woe with me there. I don't know. This is the safest place to be. You know why? I can stand up right here and say, my loyalty lies with the Lord Jesus Christ. I will not bow down to the government, to the other religions. I will not bow down to family and to friends, no matter what they say. That's easy in here. And you should be wanting to do that here. Say, my loyalty here today is with Jesus. Whose side are you on? Because there's only two sides, it's with him or, or not, which side are you on? You must decide here today which side you're going to be on. Will you be with Jesus or will you be with the world? Will you be the side of the sheep? Or will you be the side of the wolves? Which side will you be on? Will you be the side that, that hates Christians or the side that is a Christian? Which side will you be on? You say, why in the world would I be on the side with Jesus? The dangers are so great. For the same reason those soldiers dropped that door or that boat and went onto those shores because the cause is so much greater than the cost, And the benefit is so much greater than the sacrifice. I'm so glad, I'm closing, that these apostles and disciples didn't look at what he said and said, I'm out of here. Because we stand here today on the shoulders of those men who went out and faced those battles and won. And it's our job to go out and to face those battles so we can reach more people. So I ask you here today, and I I ask you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ if you never have. I urge you to do that. It's worth it. The glories of following Christ are so much greater than the dangers. I urge you today to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will be your help from this day throughout the rest of your life. And if you're here today and you're you're Christians, start the new year off with a greater loyalty to him. With a greater loyalty to the one who gave his life for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. That you have given us your word to prepare us for hard times, for hostility, and even for hatred. That you have given us help. And God, I pray that we would, in this unprecedented time, That you would help us to take a stand. That you'd help us to be loyal. That you'd help us to be wise and innocent. Help us, Father, to endure in the midst of what is becoming so anti-Christian. Help us to stand for what's right. Help us to be closer to you. And know, God, that you will help us the whole way. And God, if there's anybody in here this morning that is not saved, they've never given their life to Christ, I pray that today they would see the worth and the glory of following you. And may today be the day that you pierce their heart and they believe in you for the very first time. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays, y'all.